Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 131, recorded on Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. Today is the third when I'm actually getting this uh, uploaded. So it's a day late, but that's okay. There's only uh, one thing that has really happened, and that's that Chelsea played Fulham today and drew nil-nil in the first game post the transfer window. And this is what today's episode was all about. So I got with Greg Collins from the SGFC podcast. We've teamed up a few times before. As Chelsea fans, we had to get into the craziness of the window, seeing Enzo Fernandez come in the final day, and actually, he looked pretty good today. So that's a plus. We also talk about the rest of what happened in the window, some other transfers that were interesting. Enjoy. Cool. Much easier. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, uh, the transfer window is closed. Greg, uh, we, we've had a few conversations regarding Chelsea before because we're both Chelsea fans. But it turns out that our club's one of the only ones to talk about with regards to this. So we will spend a considerable amount of time with them. But overall, just from the beginning, um, Greg, what did you think of this overall January and then with the way that the final day closed? It was... Uh, it was a it was a drama from first day to last. It it kind of reminded me of perhaps why people like watching cricket in that it's drawn <laughs> out over such a long period of time. But there's moments that keep you hooked and keep you going and watching and watching. And from the very first day, the action happened, and and Chelsea was where all the action was. You know, right up until one hour before the deadline closed, with uh, Mister Fernandez coming through the door. Yep, so Enzo Fernandez went for, I think it was like 108 million pounds in the end. Yep. It's a British transfer fee record for a midfielder that I would I would be I would wager that 80% of the football watching world did not know who he was before mid-November. Uh I had heard his name. I mm-hmm. had seen you know, I heard his name because I'd seen Benfica clips or, you know, things like that. So I, I knew who he was. I knew almost nothing about him as a yeah. player until the World Cup. And yeah, so it's it feels like a crazy thing to see a player go for that much money just a short time after uh, a World Cup. But we knew there would be at least one, right? One transfer that was a player at the World Cup who no one knew about who explodes and then gets the big move. Hamas Rodriguez style, for instance. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, whenever this happens after a big tournament, there is sort of the world cup tax as it were, you know, you've just come off a phenomenal tournament. If Argentina didn't win the world cup, would we have spent that much money? I don't know, but the guy's a world champion. You know, he's got a, a considerable release clause at Benfica. They, they could ask what they wanted. And in the end, Rui Costa was having none of Chelsea's low balling. And yeah, you, you pay a British record transfer fee. Chelsea don't have a good record when we sort of break our transfer records. You know, you look at Torres, you look at Lukaku, you know, it, it doesn't bode well. But like you, you know, I'd seen the highlight reels at Benfica. I'd heard of his name, but I until the World Cup, I had no idea who he was. And now he is 108 million pounds worth of Premier League player. Yep, and we, and we we will just have to see over time how good he is. I, I 
I hope it's not a repeat of Kai Havertz where it's just like you're still waiting and still wait. You know yeah. the potential's there, but you're just like, how long are we going to have to wait for like that that breakthrough that season to happen? Yeah, you know. Um, so I for anyone that wanted at least a good visual format of the transfer window, the Guardian does have a very good transfer interactive. Um, what I like about this one is that it shows the transfers, either all the transfers, and this is basically the big five leagues in Europe. Then you can go by the, each league and then you can do transfer by club, uh, which is pretty nice to see the ins and outs and and sort of the money that's paid. Uh, I still, to this day, do not understand what undisclosed means. I'll have to figure that out at some point because <laughs> I don't know why there's these fees that are just like, hey, we you, you can't know, you can't know. Uh, but Looking at that, it was one of the things that I mentioned before we got on was the amount of loans. When you start looking team by team, league by league, it's loans everywhere, except for in the Premier League, where I think it was something like English teams. Yeah, here it says English teams collectively spent a record 815 million pounds, basically a billion dollars. Uh, and Chelsea, gen- um, none of the other, cl- none of the other humble Chelsea FC who generated approximately 37% of that tally by themselves. Th- it dwarfs Europe. I'm not entirely sure what Europe's numbers were. I was, I was looking for that, but it's... I mean, I've had a look at the numbers. Um, Chelsea spent in, in like British pounds, it's 282 million pounds they spent. They spent more than La Liga, Serie A. Uh, league one and the Bundesliga combined. Okay, so there you go. One one British club's outspending every other major league in Europe combined. It it really made me wonder. This whole football recession is is being experienced by the whole entire world, except for in England. I mean, the yeah. the and 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 notably the Premier League because it's as if there's one league in the world that is just super rich and everything feels like it's right. But then you look across Europe and like I said, every single club is loaning players in and out. And yes, it's January. So that's more normal, but outside of England and then especially Chelsea, you just did not see that kind of money being thrown around. So Hmm. let's, let's just talk about Chelsea then it's um, there's, a very strange feeling I think that most people have that on one side, it looks like a scattergun approach. And then on the other side, it looks really well calculated, right? You've got the young players that you haven't heard of that are being brought in for, you know, 10, 20 million, right? Guys like Datro Fofana, who I thought was very good against Man City on his, um, his debut. Did what um, he could. Yep. And uh, I think that Zacharia, well, he he came in in the in the summer, so slightly different transfer. But uh, Benoit Badiashil, I think, has been perfectly fine so far. So you look at some of these transfers, and you're like, okay, I see it. And then you've got Mudrik, who Arsenal had been chasing for it seemed like months, and then Chelsea were like, wait, what? Arsenal like him? And then you have Enzo Fernandez, which is a transfer record for a player that no one knew six months ago. So. Is that sort of how you feel about it? It's, it? it seems like it's a bit of both. You can't quite tell what's a well-thought-through decision and what seems like just a shooting at the hip. 
Yeah, I think I think some of the the targets that Chelsea went for and were successful in were designated targets. People like Enzo Fernandez. You know, you look at Chelsea's midfield that is, especially this season, has been ravaged by injury, um, and is also aging out. You know, you had Jorginho at the wrong age of uh, the wrong side of thirty. Kante's been missing for thirty odd games now. Um, and Kovacic, bless him, tries his hardest, but he, he's a one-man midfield at some points. And then, yeah, Mudric was was a weird one. I, I loved it. I thought it was amazing that he was courting with Arsenal very publicly over Instagram and in every interview he gave. And then Todd Bowley was like, I'm having none of that, boys. You're coming to me. I'm going to steal this little rose that you were looking after. Um, but Scattergun, is, it, it does feel like the right term. It's there's some great players in there. You know, you mentioned Badia Shield has done really well so far and is only going to prosper um, under Thiago Silva. And then some of them, it, it, you know, it, it's future proofing Chelsea a little bit. It's it's refreshing the squad. You know, the the average age of Chelsea's squad at the moment, I think before the transfer window was about twenty seven or twenty eight, and now with the signings come in, it's dropped down straight away to like twenty four, twenty five years old. So although wow. We look at these players like uh, Mudeki from PSV. Yep. You know, he's not going to start, you know, breaking into that team this season. But two, three seasons down the line, hopefully with some good loan moves, it, it future-proofs Chelsea that we don't need to go out and spend three, four hundred million in the transfer season. Um, but when we do, it, it's entertaining. It, it's great fun. You know, it, it's it's for Chelsea fans, you've got to love it. You enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, it's it, it's hilarious too because how fast things go in football. You've got Enzo Fernandez comes in the last day. Mikhailo Mudrik came before, and then it just made us all forget that Joao Felix is at the club. You just because he got red carded on his debut, yeah. you've literally <laughs> forgotten he's there because of who's come in the door as well. Yeah, so it it is quite shocking just. I think the sheer quantity of players coming in is a little bit concerning because no one's going out. So there's obviously a lot of questions about how Chelsea will navigate financial fair play in this when it comes back in, I guess, this year. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of talk about the spreading of the contracts. Of course, then UEFA coming in and putting in some kind of ban on that it can only be a five-year contract instead of seven. So there's all these different things coming in and from the perspective of someone who's around American sports, this seems kind of normal stockpiling different uh, assets. Basically that's essentially what, what they're doing. Not that Abramovich didn't with the loan system, but it seems a little bit, uh, it seems like there's an evolution here in the way they're spending the money. What, from your perspective, what, what does that difference really look like? It's uh, like I said. I think I'll go back to just future proofing. I think with Abramovich, there was there was a lot of incentive on we're going to hoard the assets, like you say, to make money. And uh, for all that Abramovich, he he made he he spent a lot of money, and we all know the amount of money he spent over the years. He also got in some fantastic fees for players that barely featured for Chelsea. Um, and he recouped a lot of his money, not all of it, obviously, when he when he sold the club. But I think in when I look at the players that are being bought in, it is 
there's a pathway to the first team. And where in the last few seasons that's come through the academy with Mason Mount and Gallagher, etc. These young players now can come into this program, can say, right, we'll send you out on loan for a season, but there is a guaranteed spot for you here. You will be fighting for these these positions and we're backing you by spending 30, 40 million pounds on you and giving you a seven-year contract. You're, you're here for the long haul and we want you here. And you know, it, it's good to see that there is a sort of a, a focus on youth. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and then any anyone who wants to stand on the side and point can go, what about Obama Yang exactly? Because Yeah, that's the yeah. Look how he's worked out. Unfor- I mean. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, I guess it's it, that, like you say, that it, it is a very good um, thing for the board to keep in mind, right? When you buy players that are at that age who look to be sort of securing contracts in those last few years of their career. It's better hmm. to stay away from those better to go for young, hungry players. And I, I agree. I mean, w- when I look at the list of players they brought in, you know, we, I mentioned Fofana. I haven't seen anything of Andre Santos. Just watched some clips from Vasco da Gama. He looks like a good player. Malagusto hmm. looks like a really good player as well. And really the only departure is Jorginho. Um, yeah. How does that make you feel as a, cause Jorginho's had a very up and down relationship with Chelsea fans, but now, it has now been, it, yeah. What, what's your, I was going to say it has been, it has been peaks and troughs, hasn't it? Under, under Sarri, he was the linchpin of the side. He was everything ran through that guy. And then, you know, the, the team developed and he didn't seem to. And I think having, especially going to Chelsea every couple of weeks, there was always, a lot of a lot of blame was left on Jorginho's feet when we weren't performing, saying that he slowed the game down a lot, that he was more interested in passing backwards than forwards, which, which is true a lot of the time. But then now that he's actually gone, you look back and you just think he actually was a really consistent player. Like he he can never be told he can never be said that he didn't give his all every game. Um, he captained the team for vast you know vast amounts the last season or two. And the guy could take a penalty, which saved us numerous times at, at crucial crucial points in our seasons. And seeing him go, you just think he was actually quite good and we're going to miss him a little bit. What about I, you? What did you think? No, look, I, I completely agree. I actually think that... Uh, so when Maurizio Sarri came in, I think everyone was pretty excited because the Napoli team he had were quite good to watch. Yeah. And, you know, the moniker sorry ball was, you know, attached right to him, which was something everyone was excited about. But when it didn't turn out to it wasn't when it wasn't happening and he had brought in what everyone considered was his pet, Jorginho, you're mm-hmm. like, well, we want to see what you did before you bring in a guy to pass the ball backwards and sideways and the team's not fun to watch. Fuck sorry ball. That was basically the, you know, the way everyone looked at it. I think it was Frank Lampard who really was the manager that helped unlock him a little bit at Chelsea because he'd only been, you know, it was Maurizio Sarri and then he left and then Lampard took over when the transfer ban hit. Yep. That season under Sarri, it was Kovacic and Jorginho in the midfield. And I remember reading countless articles that were like, explain to me what these two players do. Like, Like, I don't know what they're actually capable of. Right. Mm. 
the following season, both of them looked completely different. They mm-hmm. they they went forward more. The style of play that Lampard brought in was better than what Sari had, right? And I think that was when you know Chelsea fans can really look at what Jorginho offered the team because there were so many games where it was clear that he was one of the most intelligent players on the field, right? And a major leader when the team had the ball. So, Mm. and yeah, you're right. The penalties, I mean, there are plenty where it's like, you know, 85th minute, it's nil-nil. We've been terrible. We get a lucky penalty. He's going to score. And and so clutch. So, look, Jorginho, the reality is Arsenal have made a huge, hugely good deal here for themselves. Uh, I think it's, it's a massive signing for them just to shore up their midfield. And for him, it's kind of funny because he comes to Chelsea and he is very likely to win a Premier League medal for the first time after being at Arsenal for three and a half months yeah. so or for four months. So, look, con- congrats to him. I think um, it was unfortunate to see him go, but I didn't also see him staying. I didn't see them renewing his contract anyway. Yeah, he was in that so, sort of position here, what, six months to a year? It was just... It was it was six months. He was going to be out of contract right. in the summer. So yeah, there was, it was no like, way he was getting another one. No. So, look, I'm happy for him that he's got a chance at actually winning a Premier League title. He's Absolutely. Not, it's not like Chelsea are really going anywhere this season. And, and it, he may as well not be in the side so that they can plan on life without him, in my opinion. So, deal works for everybody, but I think Arsenal and him most of all. Um, Hakim Ziyech didn't get a move out. What do you think of that? Oh, he tried his best though, didn't he? It's, yeah. um, I saw, a, like you were saying with the garden, I saw a breakdown of the sort of minute by minute action of how that went down. And it's it feels very much like the David De Gea broken fax machine going to Real Madrid. Yeah. That Chelsea uh, forgot to attach the wrong PDFs to the email. Something wasn't signed and... PSG sent it back saying, no, you have to sign here. And they say, oh, sorry, we'll send it back. And there's no attachment. It's like working with like, you know, a bit of an older person in the office and they don't quite <laughs> grasp what's going on or how to use the printer. <laughs> but you kind of, you do feel sorry for Ziek because he obviously really wanted the move. But I just found, I found it really odd that we wanted to lose him because over the past sort of month or so, I've really enjoyed watching him. And I think he started to perform to the level that we, you know, got him for. And now he's going to come back into the squad kind of disheartened, kind of with a bit of a, you know, chip saying, well, why didn't they sort it out? Why can't I go and join PSG? Which I think could be a problem for Potter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that administrative incompetence is what created this situation. I believe Hakim Ziyech is born and raised in Paris as or no yes. no 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 sorry no he's he's from the Netherlands. That's right. He was he was oh, born right, in Holland. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Um yeah so he I think PSG would have been a good move in some ways, but when you look at the team that they have, there would have been a bunch of questions as how much he would have been playing uh you know if, if everyone's fit. Mm. Then again, it would have been a breath of fresh air for him, a new place to to open up a challenge. You know, if if things go well, they probably keep him. Uh, I, I do think Hakim Ziyech's a player who benefits from being in the side consistently. Uh, I, does, I, yeah. 
And that's been one of the biggest problems at Chelsea, you know, in in the last 20 years really is when you have four or five really good wide attacking players and you chop and change them every week or you chop and change only one every week because Eden Hazard's on the other side, he's not losing his place. So you're going between, you know, Juan Mata, Oscar, uh, William, you know, th- these kinds of situations. And it, and it has happened frequently, especially over the last few years with players like Pulisic at the club and Ziyech. And, you know, then you got Mount and it, it just, it's a lot of different players to squeeze in. Mm. And look, I mean, he's, he's 29. He's a, 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 a very, very experienced and good player. I, I don't see why he doesn't get, just a longer run of games because that's where you actually start to see his worth. So we'll see. I mean, I I don't envy Potter's job at all. So let's, let's talk about that. How, how on earth, um, basically how does he keep his job? Because I think the, the odds he's sacked before the end of the season are low. Sure. Um, based on what the board has said and what we've, everything we've heard. What do you think it would take for him to lose his job? What, what kind of disaster would we be talking here? I honestly think, and even though you know I'm saying this as Chelsea are 10th and X amount of points off of European places, I think it does come down to European places. And I'm not talking UEFA Conference League. I think the minimum expectation from the board now is Europa League. And they understand, and, you know, they're not, stupid people they understand the situation they're in you know it, it's a uphill battle and there isn't a lot of time and a lot of games to do it but with the level of investment they put into the team now you know they've essentially said to potter well we've given you the tools you know we've given you the most expensive player in premier league history so you've now got to do something with it and i i do see as much as they look, seem supportive and they seem this and that I just think if we don't get into some sort of European competition, that causes a problem for Potter. And it, it just makes his him going into the next season a little bit untenable, maybe. Well, the good news is they're actually only two points off of sixth place, which is Brighton. Brighton have a game that's, in hand, but they're okay. only two points off of Fulham, who are in seventh, and they have a game in hand on Fulham. So... It is by absolutely no means. I know Chelsea are tenth, but that's that's the thing about the leagues right now is that there's these clumps. Still quite tight, yeah. Um, I mean, the relegations on there's seven teams within three points of each other. It's completely mm. just bananas, right? So, I, I, I look. I, I think that demanding Europe is is actually completely fair. I, I think that they also will probably, if they're starting to see. The team start to play well, and also, you know, what games, what what home matches are like, mm. right? especially once you get to that period of the season where you're playing those games in really nice weather in like late April, May. It's a home match. It's like you know the, it's the three p.m. kickoff. There's a good mood, and if it's spoiled by a really bad performance, those those late season home catastrophes are really bad for managers so mm. i think he's got to build over the season to where at towards the end there's a, at least a feeling of optimism um, yeah and, and then next season will be 100 his uh what he's judged on but also he's had 
time now. I mean, being out of the the uh, Carabao Cup and the FA Cup has given him like a full week and a half um, with new players coming in. It's it's a good time to not have to play. So definitely, yeah. Um, especially coming off, you know, a few sure not wins, but coming off a few decent results against people like Liverpool. It wasn't the most entertaining game to watch, but we saw sparks from people like Mudrick. Yeah, and it kind of gives you a little bit of right. Okay, come on, boys. We got we got Fulham on Friday. We can actually do something here. Hopefully, we'll keep eleven players on the pitch, and we might be able to score some goals. Like it does give you a little bit of an oomph, and you know, like I say, the fans can also decide that. You know, Stamford Bridge isn't the greatest atmosphere at the best of times, but if you keep everyone on side and and play that entertaining football and show that you you're really giving it, then everyone will get behind you. Yeah, and. Who knows? Enzo might just be also the type of personality as a player that uh, fans love to get behind. You know, he's a competent yeah. midfielder. He's he's good on the ball, but he's also, you know, he's he he, he puts in a tackle, which they're going to need. They're going to need someone like that. Yeah. And and then we'll see. You know, as players come back from fitness, what starts to happen. But yeah, I, I think that this this little bit of time is going to is going to help Graham Potter just just get a few more of his ideas across, get a few more. Yeah, I, I think more 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 than just ideas about how they play. It's just helping create whatever culture it is that he deems is going to be the best for the team to you know work together. Because the players right. are, I mean, you you see clearly in every match that if they were just a little bit more clinical, a little bit more resilient as well in moments where. Chelsea in transition. I mean, ever since Lampard, Chelsea in transition has been just a <laughs> scary thing. You know, I mean, Tuchel, Tuchel was able to bridge it up for six months, but when they lose the ball, you're always just terrified. It doesn't matter Absolutely. where they are. Yeah, And I, I think those are the kinds of things that if he can, yeah, just make the team look a little more rigid so that when they have leads, they don't look like they're about to lose them, you know? I, and that's what a home crowd needs because a home crowd can sense like, oh, okay, we're one nil up, but we need at least two more to assure ourselves victory. Yeah. And, and that feeds down into the players, doesn't it? You know, if you're a player, you know, speaking from my non-professional footballing status, but if you're a player and you've got 40,000 people around you sort of, you know, clenching their teeth and really just sort of on the edge of their seats, that that feeds down into your energy and you're worried about the next time you make a tackle, next time you try a pass. And yeah, they, they feel that, you know, they feel that. And, but when you've got a few extra players moving in, you've got that confidence back, you know, when you say, when uh, Fernandez steps in, I'm sure he'll come in and just, you know, be calm as you like. But when say that Reese James comes back, whenever Reese James is on that ball at Stamford bridge, no one is scared except you know, the opposition right backs, everyone, the confidence that once he's on the ball flows through the entire team, the entire crowd. And then you, just lift it. You lift the um the, the performance from a player like him. And you know, you've you've mentioned it. Chelsea have missed players like that. And it's gonna be the difference going forward now. Yeah, it's gonna be so interesting. I yeah, how how they go about the rest of the season is uh, look, everyone's gonna be paying attention to it because of the money spent and the good news for Chelsea fans is this isn't anything new. I think uh, there's people who are like, do you think Chelsea fans care if, do you think Chelsea fans are bothered? Be like, we're used to this. We, we don't have emotions about whether or not we spent X amount on a player. We have, we, if you want to find a club that has the most amount of spectacular flops in the last 20 years, 
you know, there's a bunch of clubs that have done it. Real Madrid have spent a lot of money on players that haven't equated to much. City have sure. done the same. But Chelsea win. They take the cake because we By have Lance Torres. Lance. We have Shevchenko. You know, the amount of times we let players go and then they turn into stars somewhere. Then you've got like that and then bringing them back like Lukaku. Um you know, looking at Nathan Ake and going, nah, I don't think so. Well, look at him this season at, yeah. uh, at Man City. Just, just, and over the years, the, the bizarre late transfers. I mean, one of my favorites still is uh, Ricardo Quaresma and Ale- and Alexander Pato. Like, yes. they both played at Chelsea. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and this is the it's it just has happened since forever, right? With Abramovich, you knew you might get an amazing signing in the summer. And then mm-hmm. you would get three or four that you would read about for the next 10 years as biggest transfer flops, yep. you know, so, some article, Chelsea waste X amount of money in five years on these players. And it's just like 20 names. And it's, you're <laughs> yeah. like, yep, they, yep, that didn't work. And a lot but of them were strikers same, as well. <laughs> but that same window, they bought Michael Essien. So it, 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 that's what outweighed it. It was all this money spent on players. And I, I think the Chelsea fans are used to it. So people who are like, well, uh, or is it embarrassing to spend this much money? We we spent the world record fee on a five foot seven goalkeeper, right? A guy that's <laughs> you know not even two meters tall. You know, I, I, Kepa's been having his own little revival, but it's just another one of those things where I think people forget that Chelsea fans. This is like you're desensitized to this. You're desensitized to managers going at weird times. Mm-hmm. Uh, players being bought for big money and it being like, well, whatever. Oh, we'll just replace him with more money. Yeah, it's it's what they've been doing for years now. So say 20 years of up and down, left and right. You don't know what's happening half the time. But at the same time, you know, Chelsea, the most successful team in that in in England in that time. And sure, Man City will catch up in a year or two. But it's part and parcel of being a Chelsea fan. And it's not boring. You know, it could be. Imagine if you were an Aston Villa fan. And you sit around and you get, you know, you get Philip Coutinho coming in. And it's like, oh, wow, amazing. He flops straight away. It, you know, that's your highlight. You've got the one bit where we've had it for 20 years of, oh, Maratta's coming in. I can't wait. I'm excited. He scored for four games in a row. And then he, he's he got his confidence broken and doesn't even want to play football. Then goes and does it somewhere else. And then Lukaku, got, it's, a, it's a roller coaster. And we sit in, we buckle in, and we just keep going. It's great fun. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree on you have to also take the the good with it. But then on the other side, you do sometimes look at other clubs who, uh, you know, do some simple business, smart, simple business. And you're like, why on earth did we have to go and spend this much on these many players when, for instance, and look, Arsenal are top of the table right now. They brought in Leandro, Leandro Trossard for $21 million. It's really not that much for a player nope. who really, you know, has – exponentially grown his value as we said they got Jorginho and they got Jakob Kivior um 22 year old Polish uh international center back got him from Spezia for 17.5 million and then they loaned out a bunch of dead weight mm. you could argue that one of the things that Arsenal have had going for them this season is that they have had very few injuries to key players for any extended period of time and Yep. Frankly, I don't know a team that has won the title that has not had that problem. Like it, it, it's it basically that luxury is tends to tends to go with title winners. I mean, Leicester Absolutely. are one of the greatest examples of that, right? If they had Vardy, Mares, and Kante all season long, no problems. Yeah. 
So uh, the the business that Arsenal have done here, it's it's not that much money. It looks pretty shrewd, and sh- you know, barring an injury crisis, it it's going to be just exactly what they needed to get over the line. And it's not that much money. And so then you look at a club like Nottingham Forest, for instance. We know what they did over the summer. And, it, you know, amazingly, they kept going. I mean, they brought in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players. They brought in Danilo from Palmeiras, a Brazilian defender, right? Uh, they also brought in Gustavo Scarpa from Palmeiras. He actually looked pretty good on his debut. Brought in uh, Chris Wood on loan. Brought in Felipe, from the Brazilian from Atletico Madrid. John yeah. Joe Shelby. And my personal favorite, Kaylor Navas. Now, How? of all... Yeah. How? Now of all of the players, this is amazing. Out of all those players that they brought in over the summer, none of them have left. The only guys that they loaned out were young players. Yep. So what does the size of that squad look like? And and what and what on earth is going on at so many of these Premier League clubs? I think now now we can depart Chelsea and just go go towards the rest of the league, really, because that is fascinating. It, it, it's insane. I, I honestly believe that Steve Cooper and Graham Potter chat to each other on a daily basis <laughs> and just share their problems like, oh, the owners just signed another three players. I don't know who they are. I've just got to give everyone name tags. And we've had to build like a three-story parking lot outdoors because we just haven't got the space anymore. I, it, you know, it's... we. I'm sure they complain a little bit in private, but it's it's not the worst problem to have. You've got a lot of players come in um, in Nottingham Forest case, you're bringing in world class talent in Kalo Navas to 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 your you know in the nicest possible way small Premier League club. But for me, it just accentuates the power, the pulling power of the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, there's no other league or no other teams apart from sort of the traditional big big um, Real Madrids that have this sort of pulling power. And we've seen it at Wolves over the last two or three seasons. The amount of high-quality talent they bring in is phenomenal. Yeah. To, to Wolverhampton Wanderers, which if you went over to Barcelona or Munich and said, have you heard of Wolves? Yeah, they say, yeah, sure, but we don't know much about them. And so, well, they, they spend £200 million every summer because they can. It's the, the, the amount of players coming in is fantastic. It can only be good for the league, and the the money spent just shows the Premier League is its own bubble, and will continue to grow and expand to to continue to be the greatest league in the world. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Wolves, I, I, and I I agree with you. I don't really see how the tide changes anytime soon. The way the economics are just moving. Wolves signed Joao Gomez, the midfielder from Flamengo, twenty one years old. They got Mario Lamina, the Gabon international. You might remember him from Fulham. Uh, he came from Nice. He's mm-hmm. a very good player. They got Pablo Sarabia from PSG. These are all done deals that they paid money for. These are finished. These aren't loans. Craig Dawson, just throw that name in there, right, from West Ham. <laughs> a, a, a young goalkeeper called da- uh, Daniel Bentley. And then, they, of course, uh, earlier in the window, got Mateus Cunha from Atletico on loan. I mean, it's, yeah, uh, that was Wolves, Bournemouth. They went and spent something like thirty-six million or something. Uh, yeah, around that. They brought in uh, Ilya Zabarnyi from Dynamo Kiev and Dango Watara from uh, Lorient. I mean, 
it, it, it really is amazing because I actually just just to uh, just to look at the uh, the disparity, for instance, like take a club like Inter Milan, right? Spent nothing, didn't bring anyone in. Take a club mm-hmm. like Milan, right across the road. Brought in uh, Devis Vasquez, a Colombian goalkeeper from Guarani in Brazil for four hundred and forty-three thousand uh, pounds. That's that's what they bought him for. Roma, where Mourinho is, they uh, brought in Diego Llorente on loan and Ola Solbakken. Got him for free from Bodo Glimp. That's it. Yeah, and then you uh, look at look at Leeds, who spent upwards of fifty million, I think, on was it Jorginho Rotter. From from Hoffenheim, yep. you're getting in Weston McKenney on loan from Juventus. Yep, um, they got in the def- the Salzburg defender v- Vober, I think his name is. You know, this is Leeds who scraped relegation last season, but spend fifty odd million pounds the next season. And we you you mentioned it, Milan, Inter. I think Real Madrid spent less than ten million. It, it, the The competition is not even the competition, just the 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 difference is so vast. Real Madrid spent zero. Wow. Barcelona Barcelona spent one point six million on Lucas Roman, a winger from Ferro. He's eighteen years old, so I'm sure that goes straight into the academy. Just right? pulled a small lever for that one. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> pull pull the. I mean, Bayern Munich. I mean, they got Daily Blind for free. Jan Sommer came in for seven million because uh, Manuel Neuer broke his leg skiing. Yep. So Jan Sommer finally gets a big move, and it's you know it was a permanent move. And Joao Cancelo, the very interesting, interesting uh, transfer. Give give me your thoughts on that one because that was my surprise of the window. I mean, he's had yeah. issues. It seems he's had issues with Pep recently, but Bayern Munich have just got what was the best right back in the Premier League on loan for six months, just out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with with Guardiola, you know, you know what it is. If if you're if you if you're not showing the daily one hundred percent hunger to compete for a place, um, and you don't, you know, and you're and and you are desperate to follow the code and do the right things and play the Guardiola way. You'll stay if 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 you but if you're if you're somebody who you start to get a little annoyed with it, the personality starts to clash. You're not playing as much. Your body language starts to go, and then you have a conversation with the coach, and you say, "I'm just kind of done, man." He, Guardiola has does not care what you bring to the team in that scenario. He'll be like, "Okay, cool, that's good. Off you go. You need to be." like totally blindly committed to what we're doing. And I mean, I've heard this about, I think one person who's described this very well on TV is uh, Thierry Henry, right? He's, he's spoken about how, I think there was a clip that came up a few weeks ago where he talked about how he was not getting the ball in a game. And then he just made a couple runs inside and scored a goal. And at halftime he was benched because he was not, Doing the doing the system, doing. yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, th- that is Guardiola. It's his way or the highway, and you cannot complain with the trophy hall, right? No, no. So I, I and look, I gotta say, so far for me, breakout player of the season has to be Rico Lewis. I'm shocked at that kid. He is so good, mm. and I mean, 
you know, hopefully he continues to grow. But I mean, he is a fantastic player and he's just been playing right back and just coming into the midfield because he's actually a midfielder. Yeah. Seems to do what Pep wants. And so there we go. They've got Nathan Ake on the left. I think that he feels that they'll be okay. Um, that that's Guardiola the way though he he prioritized it. This is about everyone has to be a hundred percent, and if they're not, they're just it doesn't matter. So I, I respect that more than anything. I think that true. Yeah, I think that it'll be fun for him at Bayern Munich. You know, I, it's he's a good player. I think the Premier League loses really, you know, who loses the most here is anyone that had him in their fantasy team. Yeah. A lot of reshuffling is happening this week. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I actually, that, that was one of the things because I realized I didn't care really. I was like, yeah, it's fine. He leaves. But then I was like, you know, that's a lot of fantasy points just immediately gone now. Right. Yeah. It's uh, but it's a lot of money for people to spend. Right. I think he costs like 7.2 or something. So something like that. Yeah. For all of you out there, I'm sure you get a free transfer for it. Um, so you know, doesn't doesn't hurt, doesn't cost one. So I think mm. that's that's who I that's who my heart goes out to the most is all the <laughs> fantasy managers that uh I there there are some other really interesting deals though. Uh Marcel Sabitzer, speaking of Bayern Munich, uh to Man United, what do you make of this one? Because I think uh this one really did take me by surprise. I was like, really? Wow, okay. I mean Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's come off the back of the Christian Eriksen injury. It's been reported he's out till sort of April time now. And we've been seeing, you know, if you take aside Casemiro, Eriksen has been one of their standout midfielders, especially, you know, since since the World Cup. He's returned things around. He's been fantastic. To lose a player like that is 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 really tough. But to bring in someone of Marcel Sabitzer's quality so quickly is, is such... Good business by Man United. You know, they could have said, oh, do you know what? We haven't got the money for it. Let's leave it here. Um, we'll we'll survive. We'll bring in a, an academy product like they don't they do in sort of years past. Sabitzer is so good. And he was he's so underutilized at Bayern Munich that yeah, you know, when he was at was he at Le- he was at Leipzig, wasn't he? Not Salzburg. Yeah, yeah. he was at Leipzig with Nagelsmann. They- both went to Bayern. Yeah, he he was phenomenal, and he he brings the goals, he brings the attitude, he brings class on the ball. It's exactly what you want from a Man United midfielder. And there's a sneaky part of me that thinks once this once this loans up, they'll make it permanent. Um, I don't know what his sort of current market value is, but I know Man United can pay it, and I just feel that he's going to hit the ground running. You know, and you know, Valt Veghorst up top every now and again is going to absolutely delight off the balls that he can play in. Yeah, I no, I agree. I think it's, I think it was a great transfer. I, the, I think it was some, one of the ex pros out there was like, said that this was a gamble. Speaking of that, why is it that so many people say, you know, this transfer, it's a gamble. It's a, isn't every transfer a gamble? Like, yeah, you get a free transfer. The person doesn't do anything. Okay, there wasn't much of a loss there. You paid a lot of money for somebody. It worked. It didn't. Whether it works or not is kind of what I think in the end matters. I think it's just so interesting to hear people say this. It's a real gamble bringing in a player from outside the league. It's you're just like what? What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know who said that, but I've got a feeling it. It feels like a Graham Sooness thing. 
like a very old school Premier League thinking. It's like, okay, we you know, I've said on this podcast, the Premier League is the greatest league in the world. But that doesn't mean there aren't amazing players that play outside of the Premier League. And yeah, you're right. Every transfer is a gamble. But that's why these teams have data analysts they have scouts they they you know they know about these players they they play football manager enough to know what their stats are like what they're good at what they're bad at it, it, of course it's a it's a gamble but it, it's part of what makes football great and we just go with it you know just don't don't think like that that there aren't good players outside the premier league i think it's it's so funny they, they say it so often with specific players and like mm. and i mean i think deserby was so funny they they were like i don't know about deserby it's like what you really need to look at is the record of italian managers in the premier league it's quite astounding how much more successful italians are than anybody yeah it's it's and and he's been fantastic so see so yeah, and actually that that was an amazing story that the fact that brighton were able to hold on to um caicedo mm despite that long, long pursuit from Arsenal. And in the end, Brighton brought in uh, Yassine Ayari from IEK. Uh, Athens, don't know who he is, 19-year-old kid. Um, and then a couple other young players, Jamie Mullins and Facundo um, Buonote. So these are small things. They lost Lando Trossard. Mm -hmm. They've got... Uh, Kairu Matoma, who has to be one of the sensations of the league this season. One other amazing transfer uh, out, out of Spurs to Atletico Madrid, Matt oh. Doherty. I mean, it's that whole... Incredible. That whole saga, I say a saga, it's only over sort of an afternoon, was just the most Spurs thing ever. It's just what... you These guys cannot catch a break at all. Yeah. Matt Doxy is a good player. He's been a good player for, for a number of seasons now. But the fact that you were like, okay, we'll send him out on loan. So, and then you wait forever saying, guys, you, you can't send him out on loan. You've got too many players out on loan. I'm really sorry. So it's like, oh, what are we going to do? Because we're, we're, we've got to get Pedro Porro in. Um, let's just terminate his contract. You know, he it's 13 million pounds. That's fine. And then getting stuck with Pedro Porro with the, you know, the, the, the option, I say the option, you have to buy him in the summer. That's that's a gamble. That's a huge gamble. 45 million euros for Pedro Porro. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see what he can do. I, I mean, I'm sure he'll play. I just, wow. I was like, Matt Doherty to Atletico Madrid. Atleti, they love a British fullback, don't they? I, you know, after Kieran Trippier. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think that's, that's just fun, right? That's one of those that's one of those deals that just sort of comes out of nowhere and you're like, oh, all right, that's not a name I expected. And yeah. uh, so are, are there any, what are some of the other just thoughts you've had of, of just what happened over the last month and how it all sort of ended? Uh, you know, like you say, as talking from a Chelsea fan, it's been great fun. I've really enjoyed it. I do, you kind of see in these periods what, clubs are aiming for and how well they're run you know we've seen teams like fulham not really spend a lot of money now because they've got themselves in a really good position we mentioned brighton earlier the fact that brighton can now turn down 60 million pound bids from arsenal and chelsea shows how far that club has grown under their their ownership 
it's you know the stature of Brighton now is is fantastic and they've done so well. And then you look at the other end of the scale at Everton, who lost Anthony Gordon to Newcastle, which I wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, you bring in Sean Dyche with what less than 48 hours left of a transfer window. He's saying behind you know, behind the doors, everyone is scrambling. They tried their hardest to bring players in. But you know, even if a player was interested, why would they go to a ship with so many holes in it? You know, Anthony Gordon, you know, he jumped ship, he swam off to dry land straight away, he did really well. But what what did you make of that um that transfer? Well, the first thought I had was thank goodness he didn't come to Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, because please do not, not spend that, that money on this kid. I just I, I look, he could be I, I I don't ever, you know, lay doubt on players or say I, you know, he's no good or he's rubbish. I, I think it's completely insane to say that because you never know who's gonna come good over time. You never know when an extremely talented player just never never amounts to much. So it's every single time. <laughs> Yeah, they're all gambles, right? <laughs> like you could buy, you know, a player for 20 million that's fantastic and then just blows their knee out and then you never have them again. Mm-hmm. And then you buy someone for 70 million and they're just as good, but because they were 70 million, it's not it's not good enough, right? It's yeah. it's all yeah. a matter of perception. So, therefore Anthony Gordon, you know, what what is he worth? I don't know. It, it, I was I think what I'm most surprised about is that if you're going to put out 50 million on a player, why him? Is it because he was just so available and looking for a way out? And mm. I just looking at all of the other purchases that Newcastle have made. You have Bruno Guimaraes, who's a, you know an outstanding world class Brazil international in the midfield who can give you a little bit of everything, right? Kieran Trippier, it's a fantastic option. You know, uh, England wing back who can play both right and left side excellent from set pieces right like a guy who didn't want a release clause in his mm-hmm. uh um for relegation right when he joined he just said no i'm in yeah. um you know eddie howe as the manager right instead of going for say a huge name you've brought someone in who at least has a good idea of a certain style of play and can work with the players like matty longstaff and you know, Dan Byrne and your, your typical British players. It, Anthony Gordon is, it's just, you know, Alexander Isak, one of the top prospects from, from Spain, right? Like the, the targets they were going for made a lot of sense mm. for what they were trying. I mean, Sven Botman, another great, great example of a player, you know, there's just so many things that make sense. Why you spend then 50 million on a player who, I I just don't – I don't know. I, there's so many other players, young players, who have impressed me more than him. Yeah. And I don't – and I think the Chelsea interest got everyone to recognize who he was. But I'm just surprised, really. I'm just surprised Newcastle went there. I, I think they could have bought any number of other players. Um, so I'm not I, – I really am not sure. Uh, I, it could work, but – I think that'd be more down to the fact that he's going to be playing in a team that is thriving, doing well, and has good players around him rather than he's going to go in there and inject something new that they didn't have. Definitely. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What do you think of Sean Deitch going in at Everton? I mean, 
it's it's a great signing for Everton. I think he was the man. You know, you look at the other candidates that were getting tossed around, and you know, it, people were even sort of talking about Rafa Benitez coming back. It's like oh you've burnt you've burnt those bridges, guys. Like you've burnt a lot of bridges. But Sean Dyche, stereotypically, he knows how to get out of trouble. He values hard work and hard labor over anything else. And he has got on paper, and I've said this on the SGFC, on paper, he's got a very good squad to work with. Sure, you've lost Anthony Gordon now, who's one of your main sort of attacking options. But if you look to that team on paper, Calvert-Lewin, Tarkovsky, Cody, Alex Awobi, there's there's talent there and he can work with that. And they need some direction. They need a good bit of rigidity. Is that a word? I'm going to make it a word. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Good. And they just need someone just to just to crack the whip a bit and say, boys, you're good players, all right? Let's stop shipping goals and let's score a few, shall we? And he'll have them running laps around the field and get them into a better shape than they were under Lampard. So do you think this is the best squad Deitch has ever had in the Premier League full stop? Again, on paper, it is. Right, and yeah, it, I agree. It, it's weird saying that because Everton are, are they 19th or 20th, you know, but they have yeah. a good squad. I think on the flip side, though, it could potentially be career ruining for Sean Dyche because if he doesn't get them out of trouble and Everton go down, which in all likelihood they will, the way that this club seems to be run and the way that these owners just have uh, such a trigger finger, I think he he really damages his reputation because... He- players you had you know this available to you what happened and he could he'll say you know the the management around me wasn't very good the ownership were just giving me mixed signals but if this doesn't work out for him i i I worry for him trying to get a bigger job than this yeah i will say i i agree with you that this was the most logical move for them because i mean the idea of Bielsa doesn't didn't make sense. It's like you're God, no. he needs a preseason. He needs inter- his interpreters to do the work that they need to do. I think Sean Dyche is fantastic. I, I I really do think that this squad is better than any of the Burnley teams he had. Yes, it's not settled. Yes, it's not playing the way they need to. What I find strange about Everton is that they were waiting, it seemed, for Frank Lampard to have one of those days that you just cannot forgive to let him go. Mm. And they waited, and then it took, I think, almost two weeks to actually appoint Sean Deitch. Yep. And at that point, they had, what, like 48 hours left of the window. That was the first major mistake, in my opinion. They needed, to, like, look, if Lampard wasn't the guy in the 10th of January, it needed to be Lampard out, Deitch in within two days. Just go, get him. Yep. And then he's got three weeks to assess the squad, and you can hopefully get a few things done on the you know, at the end of the deadline. And that might, and I think more than anything, what it would have given Sean Deitch is the opportunity to get players out that he doesn't want. It's not so much about bringing players in. They've got a team, like we've said, that of players that are core players that can keep them out of relegation. I mean, look, seven teams are separated by three points at the bottom. It's one victory and you're all of a sudden, you know, in 14th. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's so... 
what I think he would have benefited from was time to get players out that he felt weren't going to go along for the ride. Sure. Identify who his stalwarts are and then be able to work things in. And then if they yeah. can bring in one or two extra faces, then he would have been set. Okay. He doesn't have that. Now we'll find out how good he is, at, you know, over the course of six months as a coach, because the board can't do anything right now. Like right now it's just, that's it. It's over. It's now coach the team. Mm-hmm. Can you manage the group of players you have? Can you, yeah, coach the team to actually perform on match day and start to scrape results? And I, I just think it's going to work. But I, I, I could be wrong. But I, I just never saw anything from Deitch over his time at Burnley, given the resources he had, that he would struggle in some way at a bigger job because he's mm. a big personality. Massive, I mean, yeah. He's a bigger personality than Graham Potter. Like, I, you know what I mean? I, I would say that Deitch would almost be able to handle a, a dressing room of big personalities better than Graham Potter. But Oh, yeah. He has, my he has much more presence but, to him. Yeah. yeah when, and, when he talks, you listen. And and that's exactly what they need. I I, I think it'll work. Um, you know, the, the last time we spoke, actually, I said that Southampton would finish in the top 10. That's uh, that was <laughs> yeah. the last time we were on together. <laughs> They're currently dead bottom of the table. So uh, Ralph Hasenhutl has long gone. So that was mm. that was my early season prediction that went completely flat. But yeah, I mean, you know, I do want it to work. I want it work. I want it to work for Sean Dyche. I want it to work for Everton fans who have suffered for so long. Like they don't deserve it. The fact that they're going to have a fifty thousand seater stadium in the next few few years, it doesn't belong in the Championship. You know, it's it's an old club, one of the founding members of the Premier League, is it, I don't think they've ever been relegated. I don't think so they, either, no. They deserve to stay up, just for the fans. I think the owners need to sell up, and I think they are looking at investment options, but yeah, the, the fans deserve it. They've given their all, and Sean Dyche will use that energy to to motivate the players. He, he'll shout at them, he'll scream at them, and they'll see the hard work, so hopefully it works out. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't want to see everything go down. I I think I learned from the lead story that it can take a very long time for some clubs to come back. Yeah. Um, it's mostly like clubs that are built for the Premier League. When they go down, they struggle to come back. Clubs that are built for relegation fights tend to do pretty well in the championship and come mm-hmm. back more often. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, the, the bigger club you are, if you go down, tends to be a little bit more difficult sometimes to come right back. But Exactly. You just have to look at people like Sunderland. You know, yeah. Well, and and then you know that's the whole issue. You look at Sunderland, you look at Everton, you're like, uh oh, it's scary with mismanagement. Uh, you know, an owner looking to get himself out at the worst time. Yep. Um, actually, here's an interesting thing about we, we've spent some time talking about transfers of players, but in terms of the sale of clubs, right? We've got Newcastle was the first one in recent times here. Then we had Ch- the Chelsea sale. Yep. Now Moshiri's looking for a way to sell Everton. Yep. The Glazers are looking for a well to, way to sell Manchester United. Mm-hmm. And Bournemouth have a sort of a big injection from American investors. Yep. It it seems as if there's a large scale ownership uh wave change that's that's on the horizon here in the Premier League. Do you think mm. that maybe Chelsea, the sale of Chelsea 
to the point where I think they were able to give like how much did was it like two billion dollars were given to Ukraine? Uh, yeah, I think all the proceeds that would have gone to Abramovich, he immediately donated to to Ukrainian charities. It was it was about two and a half, nearly three billion pounds. That's shocking, and I, I just think that there's people there's that sale made a bunch of owners go, oh. I could sell right now, and even if my club is doing poorly, I could I could stand to make an absolute fortune here. Mm-hmm. So we might. Oh, and um, FSG, right? Liverpool, they're looking. Are aren't their owners looking to to yep, also they, offload? Yep, they're looking to sell pretty quickly. This is big. Then I mean, this is another in terms of transfers. It's transfers <laughs> of clubs. Yeah, but that's a. That's an interesting story to keep an eye on. All these, the, the, the way that's going to change, and the way each club is going to, how much money it's going to take, right? And what kinds of investors are going to have to come in, mm. uh, in order to run a Premier League club. That's, uh, it's, it's more than pocket change. You know, when you look to someone like Man United, you, you look at geographically, you know, where these owners are going to come from. There's, there's two or three points that you can look at. This is either going to be Middle Eastern money. Or it's going to be American money, and both have shown that they are willing to to buy into the Premier League project, uh, because they know that the Premier League is only going to get bigger. You know, we've seen it the last few seasons; the transfer uh, funds increase year on year, the spending increases year on year, the money coming in from TV increases year on year on year. There is money to be. There's money to be spent in the Premier League. But there's money to be made, and it's it is the the mecca for multi billionaires who just don't want to buy another yacht. And it's now the mecca of the transfer window in in every single sense. I mean, it's, absolutely, it's yeah, it, it's more than just theater at this point because I think what we're seeing is not just these crazy deals or these um, sagas that last for a while. I mean, Enzo Fernandez was crazy because it, it, it started and then disappeared and then came back. And then Mudrick, of course, was this long drawn out thing where all of a sudden Chelsea come in at the last minute. Actually, Arna Danjuma was probably the best hijacking of the window. Um, where was he? He was having his medical. He had had his medical. They just hadn't signed the paperwork at Everton. Yep. And then Spurs went and Spurs in for him. <laughs> overnight he had completed his medical and they hadn't signed the papers yet like he had gone and done all the tests and because he hadn't signed the papers he went to, i mean that is that is that's something else because i think it was william when he got hijacked uh from spurs by chelsea he was yep. waiting on his medical he was sort of there around but this one had been completed and the guy still left so, yeah, I I heard rumors that he'd done like his um, his like media bits. He'd taken the photos in the shirt already, and I was like, I just have this this image of him like halfway through a photo shoot with an Everton shirt on. His agent calls him, and he just takes the shirt off and walks out, and he's like, "Sorry, boys, I'll see you later." And mental. Did it? Did that transfer U-turn have something to do with Lampard being let go as well? I think he came. He he had spoken to Lampard when he said he was coming he might have done yeah and then i think that as thing as things were dragging on they let lampard go and then he was like what and then spurs mm. were like hey i i would love to see really the actual chronological way that that one happened yeah but i mean yeah it's it's been a, a very 
you know, packed window, probably the most packed January window we've really ever seen. Yeah. And, and I, I, I would, I would suggest that the world cup break had a lot to do with that. Um, just, I, I, I it's hard to figure out exactly how, cause it's not that specific players, all that many got mm-hmm. big moves just because of their performances, but there was just this big break in the middle, I think gave everyone a lot of time to assess where they're at with contracts, where they're at with what players they needed. And then you got a few weeks to see, and then it's just like, okay, start to make moves, start to make moves. But you're right. The Premier League's dominance is, uh, I think, so heavily set right now. It's going to be quite a few years before we see it change. But that doesn't mean that uh, we won't also get clubs that are sort of the mid-table or lower tables spending huge money on, you know, strange players. So that's the other part that'll be fun. Is there uh, are there any other deals or anything that you wanted to touch on that you sort of jotted down from this this window? I think we hit all the main ones. To be fair, um, there were a few sort of quieter clubs. Um, I'm surprised that Man City, you know, bought in was it Perone as their only player. I yeah. thought they would maybe strengthened a little bit. Um, not that they have many areas to strengthen, but like I say, overall as sort of a, a conclusion, the transfer window was was great drama. And my co-host said, we said on our last episode, he's already looking forward to the next one. You know, he is already starting to to you know refollow Fabrizio Romano for the summer. And it's like he he can't get enough. That guy, that guy on transfer deadline day, he was putting out videos nonstop. It was actually a lot of fun. I I paid attention to as much as I could from him because did you watch his uh his stream when he announced uh, Enzo Fernandez? No, I didn't. Uh so uh, he's He's there with these two sort of cronies. They're probably not they're probably his mates or whoever. <laughs> and he is in the middle of the shot on his phone. He's not talking to the street. He's got 60, 70,000 people watching him and he's not making eye contact. He's on his phone. He's silent. Um, and he's just tapping away, blah, blah. And he just looks up and says, Guys, guys, hang on, hang on. And it, it literally goes from like 60,000 viewers to over a hundred thousand in seconds. Everyone's sitting there waiting, and the chat is just like Enzo, 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 Enzo. Come on, come on, come on. And I thought that's it, deal's over. He's going to announce. Talks are broken down. It's too late. Goodbye. And it's it's like literally five minutes, and these other two guys are trying to fill the airtime. They're chewing peanuts into a microphone, which is never a good <laughs> thing for a live stream. I mean, you've got a professional setup, guys. Don't eat peanuts. Simple. Oh, as. that's so great. And. Everyone is sitting on the the edge of their seat, and he he goes, "Okay, guys, here we go." Enzo Fernandez to Chelsea, and I was like, "It actually, we've got sixty minutes left, and it actually happened, and it everything exploded, like everything went mental." And it was just, a re- I even said to my girlfriend, "I was like, wow, we've just bought a player for ludicrous amounts of money," <laughs> and yeah, it, it was a great little moment, something that I'll remember for for the next couple of years. That's good. Well, that, I think that's that's because that really is the perfect way for it to have ended, right? For yeah, you get a Fabrizio Romano. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then on it goes. So, well, I you know aside from a- any any other transfers that people have out there that they would have liked to see. I mean, I'm sure there's there's players from the World Cup. Amrabat, I would have liked to see go somewhere, mm-hmm. but. I think overall this was this was plenty, and the summer, like you said, will be the same. It'll just be packed again. So 
Yeah, just as good. If if sources close to Chelsea's owners are to believe are to be believed, uh, the the line coming out is this is just the beginning. So All if right. that doesn't if that doesn't sort of whet your appetite, I don't know what will. I want to see if they're going to get a really good seller. If someone at the club who's he's like the director of sales, of someone players, does need to be in who's place, wheeling and, and dealing. Because at this point, I don't know. No one in Europe is buying anybody. So how do you get people to take the wages? Or I, I don't know. I don't know how they do it from here. But beauty of the Premier League, so much Absolutely. money thrown around that it just doesn't ever get boring. So Greg, thank you for helping helping us break this down. Uh, Again, I, anyone, Fabrizio Romano, check him out if you haven't already. If you don't know who he is, please go check him out on YouTube. He'll give you all of his uh, good transfer news. And then, like I said, the Guardian Interactive is good. Do, what, what, what's some what's a uh, resource you use to keep up with transfers that you've found to be uh, you know, relatively easy to look through and find what you want? Um, another really good publication coming out of the UK is The Athletic. Um, they it is a it is a subscription service, but they do a lot of deals. I think I pay one pound a month yeah, um, for all of their services, and they have fantastic journalists like David Ornstein, who is sort of second in command for Fabrizio Romano. Really yeah. in depth analysis of games of transfers. Um, obviously, the SGFC podcast is a great place to get all your news. Of course, so is, so is Campfire Football. We're we're sort of fourth and fifth. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fabrizio Romano. Um, the Athletic for sure and The Guardian then us I agree especially when our forces come together then then we leapfrog The, the Athletic because we're a powerhouse in football journalism exactly <laughs> exactly so well that's it then uh, we don't have to worry about we don't have to worry about uh, covering transfers for about four months now five months so uh, now we can focus on not actually the deals themselves them. but yeah, how, <laughs> yeah. How, how much money their performances are actually worth in the end exactly you know, see uh, what a gamble looks like exactly uh how is joao felix gonna play like someone worth 2.5 million a game pretty much <laughs> like that. that's the big question love of god well bye everybody hope you all enjoyed the uh transfer window as much as we did it's fun times <laughs>